Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. One of the things we're promised when we start to follow Jesus is that we're going to have a new life. We're a new creation, the Bible says. But sometimes it can be hard to get a hold of that new life and feel like we're living it out day by day. In our current sermon series, we're talking through one specific chapter of the Bible, Colossians chapter 3. And this chapter answers two questions for us. First, it tells us what the new life we have in Christ should look like. And secondly, it tells us how we can obtain it. My heart's desire is that you would find and live out new life in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll listen to these messages and I hope you enjoy them because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. Something happened this morning uh, that I don't remember when the last time it happened was, but some of you know that in our two campuses, we're here in Belmont and we're in Burlington, if you were in Burlington this morning, uh, you would hear a sermon from the exact same passage. And so we keep that consistent between our two locations, even though we're, we're preaching live. And so throughout the weeks, we plan our sermons together. And have you ever in your life, have you ever uh, had something that you wanted to share with someone? And it was something so simple and it's so straightforward. But as you started talking, you realized you were making it way more complex than it needed to be. You ever done that before? Someone asked you some sort of simple direction on something, or you were trying to explain a situation, and you got into it, and you went down a rabbit trail, and you tried to come back, and, and then you, you, you used the wrong word choice, and by the time you were done with it, you knew you were trying to explain something very simple and straightforward, but you had just made it far more complicated than it needed to be. That was kind of like our sermon prep this week. And we got into a passage of scripture and we just kept building and building and it seemed so smart when we were doing it in our meetings and, and reading more books and coming up with new ideas. And this morning, uh, Pastor Rick over in Burlington, we called each other as we often do on Sunday morning and he's like, it's all wrong. And I was like, yeah, I know, it's no good. <laughs> and he's like, what are we gonna do about it? I'm like, we gotta change it. We gotta, we gotta just get it, make it, go back, go back and make it simple. So we're doing, doing something this morning that, as your preacher, makes me a little nervous, and that is giant outline change right before church. That's not how I normally operate. We're usually very planned out. But it also makes me excited because I think God has something to say to us this morning, and he wanted to make it clear. I believe God had something, some, has something very important to say to you and to me, and we were just getting in the way of it. So I'm going to try to get out of the way this morning and just shoot straight with you. Because of that, it's not going to be what sometimes in churches we would call like a seeker-friendly message. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not close to God right now, if you have a lot of questions, Maybe you'll hear what it said this morning and you'll feel like God is speaking to you maybe for the first time. Or maybe you'll hear this message this morning and think, man, church people are crazy. Either way, I'm glad you're here. It's just my warning ahead of time. Have you ever tried to change a bad habit in your life? You don't want to bite your nails anymore. You don't want to crack your knuckles. You want to be on time. You want to go to the gym. Whatever it is, have you ever tried to change a bad habit? Why is it so difficult in our lives to change bad habits? Why is that so hard? It's never easy, is it? 
want to drink less coffee. I want to get more work done. It's, always, it's so difficult, isn't it? I want to watch less Netflix, whatever it is, to break those bad habits in our life. It's, 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 it seems harder than it should be, doesn't it? I mean, I have one that I've tried multiple times to break, and it's very difficult for me to do so. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable. I'm going to put it out there. You may judge me. That's all right. I mean, it is what it is. But here's what happens in my household. My wife's in the back. She can testify. She'll tell you this is true. In fact, she might tell you I'm not being as honest as I should be about it. We, put our, we have three young children. We put them to bed. That takes from about 7.30 to sometimes 1 in the morning. But whatever time it takes, 7.30 to 8, hopefully, 7.30 to 8.30, something like that. Once everyone is finally asleep, all I really want to do is just, for a little bit, just relax, right? It's been, a, it's been a, for me, sometimes a stressful situation, the bedtime. I love doing it, but sometimes a little stressful. And I just want to relax after that. And so uh, whether that's I, I turn on the TV, I watch a Celtics game, or I watch something with DVR or Netflix, whatever it is, I just want to relax for a little bit. And I have this habit of when it's time to go relax, doing something that I know I shouldn't do, especially that time at night. And that is I open up the pantry door, and I see all the stuff that we have there. And I tell myself, I'm going to take this bag of pretzels or chips or trail mix or whatever it is, and I'm just going to eat like a handful. But I always take the whole bag with me. And sometimes my wife will say to me, why don't you just take a handful and not the whole bag? And I'll say, I can control this. I'll take the bag in case I want a little bit more, but, you know, I I won't eat too much. And then, and then, you know, at halftime of the Celtics game, I'm staring at an empty bag of chips or an empty bag of trail mix or whatever it is. And, and it's something that I know it would be better if I didn't eat all that junk right at the end of the night. But it's a hard habit for me to break. And why is it so difficult to break those habits? Now that I've said this, people will be asking me every week, you still snacking at night? No, then maybe that'll help. Maybe that'll help. The accountability will help. But you have these things in your life too, right? It's not, it's not like it's the, it's the worst thing in the world I could be doing, but it's, it's like a habit that I, I know is the healthiest thing for me. I'd love to be able to break. I'd love to be able to do differently. And you have these things too. You want to be on time. You want to watch less screens. You want to be off your phone more. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you, but you have these habits. They are hard to do, aren't they? They are hard to break. And the question I want you to think about for just a couple of minutes with me is why is that so difficult? Why is it so hard? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, bad habits are just symptomatic of something that is happening inside of you, a battle that is raging that is far deeper and far larger than many of us recognize. And the reason it's so hard is because of this battle. The reason we can't just make a decision and then the next day live perfectly, I'm going to the gym this year and then do it perfectly, is because underneath the surface of it all, there is a battle that is raging in your heart, in my heart, and in your soul, in my soul, especially for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We are more aware of this battle than other people. There is this thing that is happening that we have to deal with, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And to talk about that, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and I'd invite you to follow along with me. It's what Paul says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Here's the battle that's going on inside of my heart and your heart, and some of us are more aware of it than others, but... Last week, we talked about new life that's available to us in Jesus Christ. And we said when we start to follow Jesus, uh, we walk with him. And remember, there were four with statements, if you were with us, that Justin did a great job bringing out in this passage. And we said that, that we are, are dead in, with Christ, we were raised with Christ, our lives are hidden with Christ, and one day we'll appear with Christ. And the whole idea was that we are, we are offered new life if we'll choose to walk with Jesus in our lives. And that life is to be received, not to be achieved. That's not something we have to earn. It's not something we have to fight for. It's not something that we build towards. That because of who Jesus is and who God is, he offers that new life to us if we will walk with him. Here's what happens. You and I, we say, I want the new life. That sounds great. I'm tired of the old life, would love the new life. Out with the old, in with the new. Spring cleaning time, get the new life going. And then part of that new life is that we would live the life that God calls us to live, that each and every day we would do the things that God wants us to do. There are certain things that God says not to do. There are certain things that God says to do. And when we don't do them, the Bible has a word for that, and very simply, it's called sin. So God says to do things, we don't do them, that's sin. God says not to do certain things, we do them, that's sin. And there's this thing that is happening in your heart and my heart, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, where we want to live this new life that God calls us to, but this ongoing battle and struggle with living an obedient life is constantly plaguing us day after day. There is no better litmus test in the Bible to whether or not we're following Jesus or following God than our obedience to him. Over and over in the Bible, that's the litmus test. We say we follow God, and the litmus test will, are you obedient to him in your life? Do you live the way that God says to live? Jesus said it very simply. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. But if we're honest with each other this morning, It's much easier to say we believe in God than it is to be obedient to what he says. And we have this thing inside of us, this sin that is living there, this sin that has power inside of us. And I think many of us, even those of us who call ourselves Christians, we are ignoring it in one of two ways. We are ignoring either its presence in our lives or we are ignoring the power that it has over us.
For whatever reason, I feel like in our part of the world, our area, one of the common things that is a problem in many of our homes is the presence of mold in in our houses. And whether it's because we have houses with fieldstone foundations or whatever it is, uh, mold can easily grow in the homes in which we live. Now, if we were to start to smell a musty smell or start to notice in the unfinished portions of our basement or the unfinished portions of our attic, the black little dots starting to creep up into things, into insulation and into two by fours, we could respond one of two ways. Now, we can either just ignore its presence and say it's not that big of a deal And that's one choice that we can have. And some of us have taken that route. Maybe we're new homeowners and we say, well, I'm not sure what that is, but I don't think it's really that big of a deal. And we just hope that it'll stop growing or we hope that it will go away. Or the other thing that we can do is we can say, well, I'm not really going to pay attention to what it is. Or we can say, you know what? I'm going to deal with it on my own. I don't need to call in some fancy expert to deal with this. I'm going to take care of this problem myself. And with our limited knowledge and limited ability, we start Googling and try to take care of what is a big problem all on our own. And we underestimate the power of the situation. We underestimate just how far it can grow and how deep it can go and the, and the cost that it happens. And what happens when we, in a situation like mold growing in our home, we either ignore its presence or we ignore its power. When it finally comes to the expert coming in and having to do the work, it ends up costing us far more than if we had taken care of it right off the bat. The expert comes in, and instead of uh, having a, a bucket of bleach and water, they are ripping out walls, and they're rebuilding sections of our home and replacing insulation because we've ignored its presence, and we've ignored its power. Now, some of you are like, i got to go get test- my house tested for mold, but just, just stick with me for a moment. Come back with me. The same thing happens with sin in our life. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. We can go through our lives ignoring the presence of sin in our life, and ignoring the the power that sin has in our lives. Paul, in these verses, tells us exactly how we are to deal with sin. And he doesn't mince any words. Just like an expert would come in and say, you got to rip this mold out. These studs have to go. The insulation has to go. If I'm going to turn to an expert as to how to deal with sin, this is the best book to go to. This is where the experts lie. And Paul, who is our expert in this case, right there in verse 5, he tells us exactly what we have to do. If you want to get rid of sin in your life, this is what you have to do. Paul says, you have to put it to death. We kind of like want a five-point management plan or something, some sort of BuzzFeed list to help us like deal with this. But Paul doesn't give us that. Paul's very direct. You want to deal with sin in your life, here's what you have to do. You have to put it to death. And we are left saying to Paul, well, Paul, how do we do that? How do we do it? Because so many of us have tried before. So many of us have tried to do this. Maybe you have spent a lot of time in church and you know what it's like. You feel guilty. And so then you go up to the front or you go to the prayer meeting or you walk up to the pastor and you say, I'm 
I feel guilty about this thing that I'm doing in my life. I know I'm not supposed to do it. So I'm making a resolution today. And here's the resolution. I promise I will never do X again. By Sunday night, we've done it again. And we can find ourselves in this vicious cycle. In fact, some of us have walked away from Christianity because of this. And some of you are close to walking away from Christianity because of this. Because you're supposed to have this new life in Jesus and you're supposed to, you know you're not supposed to do these things and you're supposed to do these other things, but it's so difficult day to day to do them that you're starting to think maybe the whole thing is some sort of giant hoax and some sort of way to control people's actions. So is it possible to put these things to death inside of us? And if so, How? Well, Paul in these verses gives you and me a very simple set of instructions. That if we will heed them today, you who walk in here feeling guilty, you who walk in here feeling shameful, you who walk in here wondering why you've never been able to get a hold of the anger in your life or the lust in your life or the greed that's in your life, you can walk out of the room confident that a new work is being done inside of you. Here's what Paul says. You want to move on from this? You want to put this to death in your life? He gives you two instructions. He gives me two instructions. And the first one, quite simply, is this. He says, look up. Start looking up in your life. You want to to deal with sin? You want to put it to death? Here's what you do first. Look up. And he says it very clearly in verse 2 of the passage that we read. He said, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. You want to start dealing with this problem? You want to start rooting this out? You know, some of us try to deal with the things we know we shouldn't be doing by cutting them off at the surface. If we're going to get rid of these actions and behaviors in our life, they have to be dug up at the root. And Paul says, you want to start digging these things up out of your life? You want your behavior to be more consistent with your belief? The first thing you need to do is start looking up. Set your mind on the things that are above. Well, what does that do? Quite simply, it changes our perspective. As long as I'm looking just at myself, I can ignore the presence of sin in my life. As long as it's just me and I'm comparing myself to other people, I can always find people I feel like I'm better than more moral then. And I can justify things. I know the book says not to gossip, but I mean, everyone at work does it. It's fun. I enjoy a little gossip. It's not murder. What's the harm? As long as I'm just looking at myself and I'm looking at other people, I can justify that. Or I could say something like, listen, I know technically the book says I shouldn't look at pornography. I know that's what the book says. I know that's the deal. But I mean, honestly, at the end, what, who's it hurting? And I'm not you know, out there doing terrible things. I'm not, I'm, not out, I'm not the worst person that I know. In fact, I know people in the church that are far worse than me. And as long as I'm looking at myself, as long as it's just me, I can justify things and I can, I can compare and I can, I can ignore the presence of sin in my life. But when I set my mind on things that are above, when I start looking up, 
And I, for instance, the second the alarm goes off, don't grab my phone and start looking down, but I grab my phone or I, or I, I listen to a song or I read a verse in scripture that puts my eyes up towards the things that are above. Once I start training myself to look up and stop just looking at myself, all of a sudden I begin to see Christ and who he is and the presence of sin in my life and the actual dirtiness and filthiness of it begins to show itself. Some of you know that I went to um, college in small town Iowa. And I've always enjoyed eating steak. I don't know, I don't know if there are any other steak lovers in the room. I love eating steak. Thank you. Some honest people in the room. I, I love eating steak. And, and, uh, and I apologize if, you're, if, you're not a, if you don't like to eat meat or that's not your thing. But that's just me. I, I, I'm born and bred in Nebraska. I have to do this, okay? So... Uh, we love eating steak, but we, I went to school in small town Iowa. Um, the options for going out and getting uh, a good steak were limited, as you might guess. And there was a place that we used to go when we were in school because the price was right and the quantity of food that was offered was right. There's a lot of food illustrations today for whatever reason and the fact that I like to eat a lot of it. So uh, we would go to this place called the Great American Steak Buffet. In Sioux City, Iowa. The next time you're in Sioux City, Iowa, I would, I would suggest that you look it up. I can tell you'll not miss it because Great American Steak Buffet is in neon on the outside of it, all right? So you can picture what this place must have looked like. And for $10.95, you can go in and you could eat all the food that you wanted and all the steak you wanted. And I used to go there. I used to go there when I was in school and $10.95 was a lot of money and, and eat all the steak that I wanted. I thought it tasted unbelievable. Now, here's what happened. I moved to the Northeast, and you people ruined me. Because here you are with all your fancy restaurants and all your great food. And for the first time, when I came to the Northeast, I ate at a real steakhouse. I mean, the real deal. And when you go to a place like that, and they put a steak in front of you, and you bite into it, and you taste everything that it could be and is, I will never, ever go back and eat the steak at the Great American Steak Buffet. It won't be the same. It now tastes horrendous. And even now, if I'm at home or I'm at a restaurant and I eat steak, I taste it and I say to myself, this is okay, but it's not. Ruth's Chris or whatever it is. Because I've tasted and seen the best. So anything below that is exposed. And the same thing happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When I keep my eyes above and I look to him and I see him in all of his glory and all of his holiness and all of his splendor, now I come back and I look at myself and now all of a sudden I see this gossip. It's not just harmless chatter, but there is a prideful nature inside of me that wants to elevate myself and harm the people around me. And maybe they're not hearing what I'm saying, but the very nature of what I'm doing comes from a prideful inner being that wants to make me look great and another person look bad. And it's not harmful gossip. It's sin. I look and I say, it's not just harmless activity for me to take in those images and those videos. 
It is me denying the beauty of what God has created. It is me objectifying humans that are made in the image of God and are his children and using people for my own enjoyment and my own entertainment. And there is a selfishness and a pride and an arrogance that's in it all. And I'm perverting what God has created to be beautiful. And all of a sudden I begin to see because, not because of who I am or what I've seen in myself, but because of who Christ is, just how earthly my behaviors are. And I begin to realize that when Jesus said that if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. And if you lust after someone in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery, that those things are true. If I had a scale over here, and at the top we put Jesus, and I said, you know, at the bottom go the worst people, and I said, where would we put people like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Paul? Right? We would be like, well, there's Jesus. And then you just go a notch down and there's those people. But let me ask you this. Where do you think they would put themselves? If Billy Graham was here and we said, where are you on the scale? I can tell you where Paul would put himself because he says it in, in his writings. He says, of all the sinners in the world, I am the worst. Why does Paul, who planted a bunch of churches and wrote over half of the New Testament, put himself at the bottom of the scale? Because he has spent so much time looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And he realizes, you want to compare me to the things that are above? I'm nothing. As long as we're, we're just looking at ourselves, the presence of sin in our lives doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But you set your eyes up on Christ and look at him, all of a sudden it all gets exposed. So Paul says, you want to kill this in your life? You've got to start looking up, whatever that means. It means you've got to start spending your day, the moment you wake up and throughout your day, looking at the things of Christ and not at the things of this earth. And very simply, the second thing he says to you and to me is look up and don't look down. Look up and don't look down. If you look at that list of, sin, of, of sins that Paul lists there that he says we have to put to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, he says all of those things are idolatry. Meaning that you have taken good things and made them ultimate things. That's what idolatry is. When we take good things and make them ultimate things. This is what Pastor Tim Keller says, one of my favorite authors and speakers. Take a good thing and make it an, an ultimate thing. You start to worship it. It becomes an idol. So work is good. To work is good. To be productive is good. But if that's your reason for living, it's an idol in your life. Make sense? You'll notice Paul doesn't say to us, put to death sexual desire. He doesn't. It's a beautiful gift from God. And in the right context, it's what he's created us for. He says, put to death sexual immorality and impurity. Notice he doesn't say, put to death any desire in yourself to, to earn things and to build things and to be productive with your life. He doesn't say that. He says, put to, put to death covetousness, greed, and the desire for what other people have. When we start to look down and we don't look up, we not only ignore the presence of sin in our life, we also ignore its power. Sin is powerful. And if we give it some sort of measure in our life, if we allow it to be there, it will eventually take over. Good things become ultimate things if they're left unchecked. 
So what are you worshiping this morning? I think a good way to try and understand what we truly worship is to ask ourselves, what is the seat of my identity? People in, their, in our culture find their identity in all sorts of things, but there's usually one thing that's right at the bottom through which everything else is seen and interpreted. For some people, it's their profession. For some people, it's their family. For some people, it's their sexuality. But there is something that is the defining characteristic of who that person says that they are. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, before all of those other things, it ought to be Jesus Christ who is the seat of your identity so that all of those other things, my my work, my relationships, everything else is seen through that framework. If anything else takes that place, we're actually worshiping that thing and not Jesus Christ, no matter what we say. And it will always be impossible for us to say that we believe in Christ and live out the life that he calls us to live. He alone has to take that place. He alone has to be the object of our worship. And if anything else is sitting there, it's getting our worship and determining how we live. So Paul says to us, you want to kill sin in your life? You want to be done with this battle and continue to move forward? Then you need to start looking up, and you need to stop looking down. Well, how do you do that day day by day? Yesterday they ran uh, the 145th Kentucky Derby. I didn't get to see it. I heard there was some controversy afterwards, apparently. But when racehorses run a race, they run the race with blinders or blinkers around their eyes. And the blinders serve two purposes— One is they stop the horses from being distracted by what's on the sides or what is behind the horse, and they keep the horse's eyes focused on the target ahead. I want to suggest to you this morning that if you want to live a life where you are looking up and not looking down, that you and I have to very practically put some blinders in our life. Another way to say this is if you're driving on a road, there are often guardrails on either side of the road. And the guardrails aren't there because we're expecting that you don't know how to drive and you're just going to go side to side to side the same way you might have bumpers in bowling. They're there because if something happens and you make a mistake or someone next to you makes a mistake, they minimize the damage. That's what they're designed to do. They're designed to try and minimize the damage that will take place when you or someone else starts to drift or cause an accident. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we need blinders and guardrails in our lives to protect ourselves and so that we keep looking up. So what does that look like? Well, if every time you open up social media, you find yourself going to places of jealousy and covetousness, anger, you find yourself depressed and lonely, Put a blinder in your life. Delete it. Life goes on. Unfollow some people. Put a blinder in your life so that your eyes are focused above and not constantly brought down to this earth. Be honest with yourself this morning. If 
if you need to, put a filter on your devices. It's a guardrail in your life so that when you start to drift, something is there to help stop you from keeping sin alive in your heart. If your struggle is materialism and wanting more, maybe you have to change jobs to put some guardrails in your life. Maybe you have to cut out some expenses in your life to put some guardrails in your life so that your heart is protected. But we very practically in our lives need to do certain things so that our eyes stay focused up above. And then when our eyes start to drift down as they inevitably do, there is something that is blocking our field of vision so that we keep looking up. You can race a horse without blinders, but it will get distracted and won't win the race. You can drive on a road without guardrails, but when you start to drift or someone else drifts into you, the, da- the damage can be catastrophic. So why would we not be wise and put those things in our life? Some of you may say to me, well, that's legalism. It's not legalism. Legalism says you can't be a Christian unless you have a filter on your computer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if that's your struggle, put a guardrail in place. I know you can be a Christian without it but you might be ignoring the presence and power of sin in your life. So Paul says to you and me, you want to put sin to death in your life? Are you sick of this battle where you keep promising God you'll do better and then you just keep falling back into old patterns? We're so used to coming to church and listening to the preacher, and the preacher says, do this, don't do that, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, start it, start it, start it, start it, start it. That's not the gospel. That's not the message. The whole process is not teaching ourselves to live better lives, more moral lives. The entire process that we are engaged in as followers of Jesus Christ is to gaze at Christ and to become more like him. And if we are looking at Jesus and over time we're becoming more and more like him, these things will naturally begin to happen. If the only way we are stopping sin in our life is through our own conviction and our own abilities to do it, we are going to be the biggest hypocrites in the world and eventually we're going to fall. The only way to get this stuff out of our lives is to look at Christ and trust in him. And as we seek him, as we run after him, these things will begin to fall out of place in our life. All of these desires that are out of place in our line fall into line when Jesus is at the top. And it's the pursuit of him and the pursuit of holiness that we are after. And it is a process. And I want to tell you this morning to embrace that process. It's not about walking out of the door this morning and promising we're never going to sin again. Someone's going to cut you off in traffic and you'll break that thing before you get home. It is about being able to look at our lives and say, am I from last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Growing in my obedience to Christ, growing in my sanctification is the big word, growing in my knowledge of him, my understanding of him, and is my obedience to him falling in line. And if that process is moving forward, you are in the right place. The King James Version of the Bible, the Old English Version, in this verse, 
It doesn't say put to death. It uses a good King James word. It says mortify, mortify the flesh. That word mortify, the root of that word is found in our words like mortgage. And what is mortgage? What is a mortgage? A mortgage is the slow death of your debt over time. Hopefully. (laughs) A mortgage is the slow death of your debt over time. And sanctification, mortifying the flesh, is the process of coming to know Jesus, accepting new life, and then becoming more like him throughout our lives. But be honest about that and be okay with the process, but be participating in the process. One of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, says it this way, in Christ, I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin in my life. And one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. When I trust Jesus, I'm saved from the penalty. Throughout the rest of my life, I'm being saved over time from the power of sin in my life. As long as I keep my eyes up and focused on him, and one day when I am with him in eternity, then I will be fully saved from the presence of sin around me and in my heart. But until then, keep moving forward. Keep your eyes up. Don't look down. Stop making promises to do better and focus on him. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes for one moment. Like I said, it's a pretty direct message. Our world wouldn't call these behaviors sin, but God does. Our world would say religion is just something that has a bunch of rules to control people and control their behavior. God doesn't say that. God wants to make you more like Christ. God wants to give you a new life. The rules are not there to steal joy. The rules are there because as we become like Jesus Christ, we experience ultimate joy. So maybe you're here this morning and you have never before started to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Today is the day that you could make that decision and you will, as we just said, be saved from the penalty of sin in your life and begin a process of becoming more like the person that God created you to be. And all that guilt you feel, all that shame you feel, no matter how many people tell you that you're fine the way you are, you know. there's guilt and shame there. God will take care of that through Jesus. There's a card, there's a prayer on that card that we handed out on the back of it under the sermon notes. You could pray that prayer just to quite simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I want him to take control of my life. And if you do that, you begin this process today. But some of you in the room, you've been in this process for a long time and there are still those sins in your heart and in your life that you are ignoring because you've tried to get rid of them and you haven't been successful because you've been trying under your own power. And so you're just justifying them. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. 
and you're ignoring the presence of sin in your life and you're ignoring the power of sin in your life, God wants to do a work inside of you, making him more like his son and putting to death that sin in you. It's not something you can do on your own. It's something only God can do in you. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't often do in our church. But with everybody's head bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you this morning, where you would say, yeah, I need God to do a work inside of me. In first service this morning, there were many who raised their hand and many in whom God started a new work. And I wonder if you sitting here today would be honest enough to call it out. See, I think there's something powerful when we're willing to call it out and say, yeah, that's me. I say I follow Jesus, I come to church, but there is something that I'm dealing with that I haven't been able to deal with on my own and I need God's help in dealing with it. And with no everyone's eyes closed and their head bowed, I just ask you, if that's you, to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Something powerful in just raising your hand with... No one looking and saying, okay, God, you know that's me. You know I've been trying to do this thing under my own power. I need you to do the work in me. So God, this morning we thank you for Jesus Christ. God, forgive us for trying to do this thing under our own power and becoming frustrated and upset. God, we look to you this morning. Pray that you, through your Son and by your Spirit, would do amazing work inside of us. Give us the wisdom we need to get the accountability in our life, to build the blinders and build the guardrails so we stay on course, looking up to the things above and not the things below. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning and let's worship our God who gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.